terms of the ministry, for those of you who don't know us, again, it's, it's simply a, a, a Bible school that's available to pastors and ministry leaders who live and serve in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, which is in East Africa. Um, there are many Bible schools in Kenya, but for these types of pastors, they're largely uneducated, um, they don't have the credentials, they don't have the recommendations, they're not from mainline denominations, they cannot get into these schools, but in fact, they're ministering to most of the people. So in a city of five million people, uh, about four million live like that. Um, the other people generally live in conditions that are completely the opposite of that. So you have an ultra-rich and an ultra-poor, and the two do not mix. Uh, if you've went and visited Nairobi, you would not generally see that. You would see the very wealthy uh, 16-lane highways and people running through five-star hotels on the way to a safari. That's what you would see. But behind the hotel, in the valley, you would see hundreds of thousands of people living like this. So you'd have to get up in a helicopter to see it. That's where our pastors minister. That's where they reach the people. And uh, God has simply given us a vision to put the Bible school inside the slum. They walk right to it. Um, they have easy access to it. It's in their neighborhood. It's in their community. And they feel like it's their Bible school. And that's the way we've always run it. It's always been staffed with local people. Uh, we don't bring over any other missionaries like me. People like me are extremely expensive to keep on the mission field. It's very, very difficult. Um, between the procedures and the cost of living, when you see a city that looks poor like that, it's not a poor city, it's an expensive city. So you would see that in Hong Kong or you know, Mexico City or Rio de Janeiro or Manila. Some places are very expensive cities. And hence, a lot of people live in extreme poverty. Um, when I'm here, uh, the ministry continues. So, so we've gone through a tremendous transition in, since I saw you last year. Uh, our family has now shifted back to America because I have to spend at least half my time in the States uh, raising support and raising awareness. Uh, I travel back um, the beginning and end of every semester. So I'm... I'm Commuting to Nairobi is what I'm doing. Um, our family now lives in St. Petersburg, Florida, which right now is not where you want to be, but sometime around October, November, you might want to come and visit us. Um, so right now, I'm stranded in America. Uh, as I was scheduled to go back again in March, um, I was, of course, caught up in the virus thing. Um, but the ministry continues. We'll be opening our new semester this month. And we have eight pastors now teaching in our Bible schools. We have two Bible schools. And they're ready to hit the ground running. So continue to pray for them. And continue to pray for the ministry as we um, continue full-time in ministry. Just my role is really what's happened is the ministry has matured. We're maturing now to the point where we're so big, I need to spend a little bit more time here and uh, to support the staff that we have there. We average around 250 to 300 pastors and ministry leaders at any one time. 
in the Bible schools. So they have tremendous influence uh, over many, many, many people. Some of our pastors have 85 churches. Most of our pastors have at least two to three churches. Um, so God's given us a great opportunity. And uh, the question has come up, well, what, what, how has the virus affected, uh, how is it in East Africa? How is it in Kenya? Uh, I would tell you that the restrictions there are greater than anything you have here. So, so the, the level of the virus there is in many ways almost immeasurable. But the restrictions are also beyond comprehension. Now, why would you have that contrast? Uh, one reason is because Nairobi, Kenya is the headquarters, one of the world headquarters for the UN and the WHO. So as a good host country, they're going to go overboard with complying with any and every restriction that you can think of and even add some. So they've done that in good measure. I would say things are starting to open up again now and starting to ease up a bit. But the effect on the church is what I want to talk to you about. Um, as we're moving, as we're moving through time, I think most of us would agree that we're coming to a conclusion. The world is moving towards a conclusion. The Word of God comes to a conclusion. The times of this, this type of existence, where we're, we're separated from God, where we're living in a fallen world, is going to come to a conclusion. Now, I, I don't think many of us anticipated seeing much of that in our lifetime, and we're absolutely shocked at what we've seen in the last year. And I'm not just talking about the virus, but just things moving at a pace towards that conclusion. Now, there are things in, in there that, that, that the Bible describes that are going to happen. They must happen. There will be a one-world government. That's going to happen. You can protest. You can get out your gun. You can complain all you want, but it's going to happen. There will be a one-world economy, a globalized system. That's going to happen. You can't stop it. By the way, have you had trouble getting coins lately in the store? <laughs> See, all these things fit together, and, and we could talk about that in, 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 for days and days, uh, but it's clear you can see it happening. The globalization of the currencies and the banking and the economies is there. But what I want to just briefly mention to you is what I've been able to witness uh, about the one world religion that is coming to this world. So that's biblical. It's, it's, you know, read the book of Revelation. It's very, very clear. This one world system of religion doesn't mean that everyone believes the same thing. What it means is that there is a governing authority, a ruling and authority over all religions on a global basis, controlling them monitoring what they can and can't do. Now, we haven't seen that movement much 
here, if at all. I can tell you that just within the last 60 days, we have seen a tremendous movement of that in East Africa. It has come in the form of tremendous restrictions on the church under the immediate issue of the virus. So the church was hit with tremendous restrictions on, well, they were shut down. A lot of people here are talking about how we need to get back to meeting in church. And that's kind of been the big topic for the last month or so, maybe two months. How do we reopen? How do we reopen with the restrictions? Uh, should we reopen? And if we do reopen, how will it be received and how will we comply? And should we comply and should we resist? And It's bantering back and forth. But I think in the process, we've missed one of the main points. It's not about Sunday service. It's about doing Christianity. It's about the Christian life. So as an example, in, in Kenya, it's not that you just cannot have your church service. You cannot have baptisms. You cannot have funerals. You cannot have communion. You cannot evangelize door to door. You cannot have an open air crusade. You cannot go to the hospital to visit someone who's sick. You cannot minister to the dying and the grieving. You cannot bury a body. You cannot go to the hospice. It goes on and on. You cannot minister to the orphans or the widows. You cannot have a feeding program. You cannot live the Christian life. It's been legislated out. Now, this is in the context of a country that has negligible presence of the virus. So it's not about Sunday service. It's can I live my Christian life? Can I obey the commands of God? It is a command of God for us to share our faith, to preach the gospel, to minister, to counsel, to disciple. Those aren't suggestions. That's who we are, and that's what we're called to do. So there's going to come a point, and there has come a point for our pastors and ministry leaders where they've had to make some very, very difficult, uncomfortable, and in many cases, illegal decisions. Now, I'm not one to recommend any kind of rebellion, and that's not what I'm doing. 
What I'm suggesting to you is that we've come to a point now in East Africa where there is already a two-church system. There is the state church, which is doing everything the state has asked. And if you follow the state restrictions, really, you're not doing anything. You're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And now the churches are beginning to reopen in Kenya. The restrictions are so intense, you can't sing. You can't come to the church if you're under the age of 13 or over the age of 58. Now, I don't understand that exactly, but that's what it is. You can only have a few people in the building. You can only have church service for one hour. This is in a culture where church service typically begins with morning glory at sunrise and finishes with the evening service finishing at 8 p.m. And basically, they have church all day. So to say one hour is really to say you're not having it. Now, if you're a very, very large church with big resources, uh, you can just start Zooming your church services and do a live feed on the Internet, which they're doing. But that's a very small percentage of the population. And in order to have your live feed on the Internet, you have to agree with the government that you will first begin with government announcements. You must. And during your service, you must present some kind of message that promotes whatever their message is at that time. It must be weaved into your message. And if you don't, that's no problem. They just push a button, and there goes your internet connection. You're very cunning. So these type of, 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 of authorities, they love to have you dependent on an electrical connection because we can stop that in a moment. And they are. Our pastors have gotten to the point where, where they, they are, I will tell you, they are evangelizing. And they are having children in their church and they are ministering to the sick, and they are going door to door, and they're beginning to pay a very heavy price for that. And so within just the last 45 days or so, they've moved into the position of having a state-sanctioned church where you're doing everything right, and you're on the list that is approved, and then you have an underground church which never existed before. One of them is doing Christianity, the other one clearly is not. This is the kind of system that they've had in China for a very long time, and we've, we've heard about it. I'm sorry to tell you, it will be global. I didn't say that. That's in here. A global governing authority telling you how you're going to practice your religion. We don't care what your religion is, but we'll manage it for you. Now, when will that happen here? I don't know. 
When would it happen in Kenya? I never would have predicted it would have happened in the last 45 days. Once it has come, it's there forever. It's never going away. So there are pastors who have been arrested. There are ministries that have been shut down. There are, are licenses and registrations that have been removed very stunningly quickly. And behind this is a very cunning system where those making the rules for the government are being advised by a board of pastors. Now that board of pastors has never been elected. They've never been chosen by the people or even chosen by the churches. They've been appointed carefully by the government to say, would you please advise us on how you should reopen your churches? And those pastors do not represent the people. They're all on paid positions. So whether the church opens or not, whether the tithes and offerings continue is irrelevant to them. They're basically government staff. So the smaller churches, the smaller pastors, the smaller ministries cannot speak into this system, and yet they're, they're the ones that are at the grassroots, organic level of Christianity. It's coming here. It's already being put in place. The question is, where do you stand? Where do you stand in practicing your own faith? If, 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 if Stony Bank Church was shut down without any recourse, how would you continue practicing your faith? Because it's going to come down to a personal walk with the Lord rather than a corporate walk with the Lord. How are you going to visit someone dying who needs to hear the gospel? How are you going to speak the name of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him? There needs to come a point where we draw a line in the sand. I can't draw it for you, and God won't draw it for you either. But the Holy Spirit is here to help us. Nothing is happening is a surprise to God. It's completely shocking to me, but it was always there. I just never thought I'd be the generation to see it. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you because I, I, I cannot encourage the brethren in Kenya because it's already happened. My encouragement to them has been for the last 18 years that we've been in Kenya. We have raised up a generation of God-fearing men and women who are ministry leaders and pastors and assistant pastors and evangelists. They run orphanages, they run feeding programs. And we've ministered to them 
And as I've always told them, you don't need me. Someday, I'll be gone. Someday, this Bible school will be closed. It can happen like that. Well, in May of this year, it happened. So we missed one semester. Thank God it's only going to be one semester. It could be forever. But it got everyone's attention. And now they're seeing things that they heard about and were taught about for years and years and years and years. And now reality has hit. I would be remiss if I didn't use what's happening there to warn you here. This is not a local problem in Kenya. This is a prophecy of God. We are moving to a one world religion system and we'll need to individually decide how do I stand for Christ? How do I share Christ? How do I live Christ? Because the price to do that is going to become tremendously costly. And God will allow it. God will allow it to touch your life. It may touch your finances. It may touch your children. It may touch your health. It may touch all your possessions. It may touch your reputation. For each one of us, the test is going to be different. And I'm not trying to instill in you any kind of a sense of fear. Much the opposite. I'm trying to encourage you to boldness for Christ. Because if these little pastors in the slums can do it, certainly we've had an abundance of God pouring into our lives. We've lived in a culture that is Christ-based in our roots. It's a Western Christendom culture. They did not. We have an abundance of teaching and preaching and pouring into us and discipleship. We can click on a phone or a TV and get any kind of encouragement and teaching at, the, at a moment's notice. They cannot. We have an infrastructure. We have a history. In other words, we've been given much. And God's going to expect much. So I would ask you to pray. Pray for uh, these simple pastors and ministry leaders. I think they're uniquely qualified because they've led uniquely difficult lives to begin with. So in some ways, they have an advantage over us. They're used to adversity. They're used to being, having, having governments and, and institutions stand on their head and to living on the edge of life. Uh, these are the kind of people that, that, that pray first. They don't try to work out their problem, and then when they can't get anywhere, they finally pray. I mean, that's kind of my habit. I, I try, to, try to fix everything, and then I really don't want to bother God with prayer until I can't fix it. And, and that's so unbiblical. 
We should go to God in prayer first. These are the kind of people who would not even consider walking home or getting on a bus to go home without first praying. They wouldn't, as soon as they get home, they pray a prayer of thanks. They live hand to mouth, day to day. I think that we might consider that in our own lives. As for myself and my family, we're living in that very strange, strange, I mean, I think all of us have a testimony of how our life has been turned upside down. Well, mine's been turned up upside down several times in the last nine months. Um, again, when I stood here last year, I had no idea I would not be living in Africa. So I, 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 I went back to Africa. I was there until December My family stayed behind, so Marcy and the children went through a transition by themselves. I went back to Africa, went through a transition by myself. For the first time in 18 years, I started the Bible school and did not teach, which was a very good thing. So I've I've left the ministry for many years to come back here. The Bible schools continued. They teach without me, but for them to run a whole semester without me was a new experience, and They got an A+. It went marvelously well. In fact, it was like we finally moved the mountain out of the way. (laughs) So so they're hitting it on all pistons. And uh, I I would not be falsely humble in telling you our teachers teach much better than I do. Why? Because they're from there. These are Kenyans teaching Kenyans. And I could live there for 50 years. I'll never quite get it. So when they teach, um, it's connecting. It's connecting in a way that I never can. So my job now is to really pour into the staff and the quiver we have of teachers and moving towards perhaps another Bible school because now we have enough teachers and um, pouring into the staff and teachers whereas the teachers are now pouring into the students. So it's really matured. And then, of course, traveling back here. I was to the point last year where I was actually turning away some church appointments, which is not a good idea. So that had to stop. Um, So just so you understand, we're still in full-time ministry. It's actually more complicated, and I'm more busy than I ever was. 